I'm so glad you're here with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website, Clark Deals. That's where you go to save money with deals for you posted around the clock at ClarkDeals.com. Coming up in a few minutes in an absolute Clark rage, there's a new thing the Congress did to harm members of our military and their families, and they're twiddling their thumbs fixing it. You're going to be stunned. And coming up later, so medical shock, bill shock, continues to be an ugly problem. I want to tell you some of the solutions that I recommend as we continue to look for ways to heal health care in the United States. So Federal Reserve has some control over interest rates in the United States and has been on a path of cutting rates and long-term hard to know because there's not much room to cut anymore because rates are already abnormally historically low. The purpose of this is to try to reduce the severity of the economic slowdown we're in, and specifically to prevent a recession. As I've said to you many times, and there's so much uh, trauma based on the banking scandals of last decade and the Great Recession they led to, that people have an extreme fear right now of a recession. Recessions are actually as painful as they are, they are a normal cycle in a capitalist society. But there's still not anything that says we are going to have a recession imminently. Again, we'll have a recession at some point, but who knows when. It's always the unexpected event in the world that leads to one, so it's hard to predict. But the odds are favoring us having an economic slowdown instead of a recession. But the Federal Reserve doesn't want to be blamed for contributing to us entering a recession. So the Federal Reserve, by cutting the rates that it has influence on, affects you with, if you decide to go buy a newer used car, what interest rate that'll be. So the interest rates of vehicle loans, new or used, follow very closely, almost identical to whatever rates the Federal Reserve raises or lowers. So vehicle loans headed down again from most lenders. Credit card interest rates generally are variable, and those are almost certainly going to move down some. And if you have a home equity line of credit, those historically go down when the Federal Reserve cuts rates. But a lot of banks did something sneaky and underhanded. They put a floor in the contract for most people's home equity lines of credit where rates can go up and up and up, but they can't go down. So whether, if you're in a home equity line, whether your rates will go down or not 
depends on whether your bank has played sneaky with you and underhanded and put in a borrowing floor or not. Um, that might be, if you have not seen your rates go down on your home equity line in the last year, that is a pretty clear signal to me you should go reshop your home equity line of credit to get a lower rate. One other thing. When interest rates, the Federal Reserve controls uh, generally, again, indirectly, when they decline, what you can earn as a saver declines as well. Two weeks ago, I told you that the general direction of interest rates was down for now. And that means that there's an opportunity for you if you're with an online bank with savings. The rates have already dropped about a third of a point on average with those online banks. So the smart move now with money that you don't necessarily need for the next 12 months is lock it into a one-year CD. Those are paying uh, close to 2.5%, somewhere right in that area. Lock that in because the rate you're going to earn on the savings accounts where the interest rates can change every day, at least for the foreseeable future, headed down from here, and that's why the one-year CD from an online bank is likely the smart move. The oddest thing in the mix is when the Federal Reserve does things to lower interest rates, mortgage rates often rise instead of fall because it tells people in financial markets they're not as serious about inflation. So think about it. If you were lending money to somebody for 15 years or 30 years, if you're worried that inflation could eat some of the return on your money, you're going to want more interest on your money. And so that's the one interest rate that may actually go up rather than down and the key trend with, with mortgage rates is if the economy does significantly slow, then you'll see those rates really go down. But in the short term, when the Federal Reserve tries to push rates down for the things that it can influence, the one thing that boomerangs and often goes the other way, mortgages. Carol's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Carol. Hello. How's it going? It's going great. How can I serve you today? I have a credit card um, with uh, a major airline company, and I have over 400,000 miles, and I just feel like it doesn't really help me, this particular airline. And I was thinking about switching, so I wanted to know how I get suggestions of what I should switch to, and what can I do with these current airline miles? Is there any way to transfer them over to something? Um, and basically, that's it. So you're pointing out something that has been a terrible problem with people who have the airline cards for American United and Delta, is that right. you end up with these mileage balances, and they sell this, this fantasy to you that you're going to be able to see anywhere in the world and you're going to go in the front of the plane and they're going to be serving you pre-departure champagne and all that. And right. instead, you're sitting there with 400000 in your account that's taking you nowhere. Right. 
That's and I why. And I recently go. To, yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead, please. I recently looked to fly to London, and it was going to cost me three hundred and fifty dollars in taxes if I use my miles, or if I, I could buy a ticket for five hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got it. So, what what you need to know is that the best deal going today, unless you specifically fly the airline that your card is from, and that's who you fly an overwhelming percent of the time and that you fly continually, like I would say um, a minimum of two trips a month round trip on that airline, is that Mm -hmm. you go to a general issue card, like one of the American Express mileage cards, one of the Chase Sapphire cards that have various levels of of uh, annual fees and rewards tied into them or you look at there's one from capital one that is one that is a multi you know you can fly multiple airlines that we've moved into a time that you're generally better off with points that can be used on a ton of different airlines instead of any one airline because the airlines, right. you know, in their terms of service, they own your points. You don't own those points. And mm-hmm. they have the right at any time to change how many points it takes for a trip. And right. so the airlines have been doing, um, started with Delta in a big way, with dynamic pricing of award mileage trips. And so uh, one day or one flight could cost you 400,000, all the points you have, and the next day to the same place it could be, you change your travel one day, it could be 140,000 points. Mm -hmm. So you're completely subject to their whims as they devalue your points. And that's why I'd look at one of these multi-airline cards that get you the ability to be a free agent. Okay. Uh, most reviews of cards prefer the Chase Sapphire product that comes oh, in really? different versions. Oh. Okay. And so that's something you consider. And we have a guide uh, on Clark.com to reward cards. And you mm-hmm. can see if any of those, where we kind of chart them out for you, if any of those look like they'd be best for you. Okay. But I'm telling you, having... Miles on American United and Delta, fool's gold. It looks shiny. It's not really worth much. Stephen's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Stephen. Hey, how are you doing today, Clark? Great. Thank you, Stephen. You have a question that's really, I'm not a lawyer, so I'll do the best with the question you're going to throw my way. That's that's okay. I understand that part about not being a lawyer. It's you know, just a simple question, the way I look at it, and I just need a little advice in which way I might be needing to go. It's I'm fixing to buy a business, and should it be the S-corporation, in other words, sole proprietor, or should I go with an LLC? Okay, so uh, an S-corp is an actual corporation different than being a sole proprietor, and then okay. an LLC, with an LLC or an S-corp, in both cases, and I use both of those types of corporate entities right while we're speaking right now, um, the, the biggest benefit of either is the ability for you to have a shield 
from liability for various things that could end up putting you into liability jeopardy. And so as to whether you use an LLC or an S-Corp, there are, there are some differences in them, but I'll tell you there's a great briefing on nolo.com, N-O-L-O.com, that compares the traditional corporate status, S-Corps, LLCs, and tells you what are the things that are the pluses and minuses and try to guide you on which is actually best to do. Okay. And if you do set up an LLC or a corporation, there are these high-volume outfits that will set one up for you at extremely low cost versus the traditional route of hiring a traditional law firm. You hire a high-volume, high-production law firm to do it for you at much lower cost. Okay. That works. That helped me out a lot, really. So when you go to nolo.com, go to their business formation section, and then go to their articles, and one of the very first ones you'll see is the comparison of S-Corp to LLC. Okay. That's perfect, then. Right, and best to you in this business. Thank you very much, Clark. Certainly. So... The Clark Rageous moment is designed to share with you something that just absolutely eats at me. It can be something that I want to protect you from. It could be a ripoff, a scam, whatever. Or it could be something that is going on that is just so outrageous, I want to bring light to darkness. And I must tell you that I'm shaking as I talk to you about what I'm about to share with you. And I need to be calmer in how I talk about this. There was a mistake that Congress made two years ago when the overall tax bill was signed that has dramatically affected military families. When a brave, patriotic American military person dies the families are entitled to survivor's compensation. We're known as gold star families. So in that law that Congress passed two years ago, they made a clerical error and imposed a tax on those benefits that had been 12% is now 37%. Higher than even the richest people in the United States usually pay in tax. They're imposing on grieving families that have lost a loved one who, for love of our country, put his or her life on the line for our nation. The U.S. House passed a bill to fix this back in the spring by a vote of 417 to 3. So in today's Washington, do you get anything more unanimous? Now, that correction is tied up in the Senate. And unfortunately, for reasons I don't understand, Mitch McConnell will not allow this to be voted on. 
and this is not an attack on Mitch McConnell. I don't do politics. I just don't understand how it's not enough of a priority for the U.S. Senate to get this done and take care of our military families. You know, everybody's always willing to clap when they see military personnel and thank them for their service. Why are our elected representatives, why are our U.S. senators stabbing these families, these grieving families in the back and taking away their special survivor's benefits with massive taxation that the whole thing was an error in the first place? Fix it. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. And our main website's clark.com. We have a deal site that uh, just saves you money when you're shopping. It's called clarkdeals.com. We post deals all throughout the day and night to save you money. So I have a deal for you. You go in... You decide you want to buy a new vehicle, and you sign all the papers. Then after you sign them and you're driving that new vehicle, only after the fact do they tell you how much you paid for the vehicle and what it'll cost you per month. Who's ever going to do that? Or you go buy a house, and you have no idea what the house is going to cost, and then after you bought the house... Then they tell you what your monthly payment's going to be and how much that house is going to cost. Nobody's doing that stuff, right? Why is it it works that way with health care? There's an ugly, ugly story from Kaiser Health News, which, by the way, has nothing to do with Kaiser Permanente, if you've ever heard of them, about how the University of Virginia Medical Center has been ruining people's lives and taking their homes away from them, taking all their money, taking their paychecks and all that, by having a billing system where when somebody is treated there, you have no idea what anything they do is going to cost till after the fact, which is a big problem with medicine. But then they have a hospital strategy where they go after every individual by suing them, specifically using codes under Virginia law to ruin what they've done over a lifetime to take everything away from them. Now, the worst part is that according to Kaiser Health News, University of Virginia is billing people at rates way beyond whatever normal and customary charges, what's known as reasonable and customary charges or usual and customary, different terms are used for this, then people would be paying otherwise. So they get bill shock, they go to court, they allege the cost of something is way beyond what it should be otherwise. And it's not just University of Virginia. There have been stories recently about a medical provider in Tennessee and medical provider in Georgia, and I'm sure this happens in place after place, where nobody in medicine is interested in actually telling you what something's going to cost. 
in my TV work, I just did a story about people who went through every hoop they could to get price quotes up front. In one case, someone actually recorded the price quote they were given by a hospital and then later was billed 52 times what the quote was. No complications in the surgery, but the bill was 52 times the quote. And this is a core and central problem with healthcare in the United States where we say we want people to become consumers of healthcare. But what does it take to be a consumer? Let's go back to the car. You don't just buy any car or truck or SUV or whatever. You buy one that you believe, maybe it won't, but you believe it'll fit in your budget. You buy a house you believe will fit in your budget. If you decide to go buy a TV, you buy, you know, you have TVs in the same screen size that can range across a massive price range. You decide which one fits your budget that you're willing to buy that one, even though this other one is more money because that's the one you feel comfortable buying. Healthcare is the only thing we don't do that with in the United States. And the reason we don't do it is because so many parties involved with healthcare don't want you and I to have that power. I think about the problems that come up over and over again with the bill shock where you'll be pre-approved or pre-certified for an operation or a procedure and then after the fact you get a massive bill from from someone you never even knew was there you never asked to see but was sent in by the hospital and they're not on your plan and so they bill you this gigantic bill and There's no reason hospitals, like every other business, should not be required. Actually, let me put this in a positive way. Hospitals should be required to quote you a fixed price for a procedure or an operation. Some will end up being easier than the hospital expected, some more expensive. But you, as a customer, should be able to know that price up front, period. Brian is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Brian. Hey, Clark. Brian, give me give me enough days running everything. I'll have everything fixed. What was that? Give you what? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Go ahead, Brian. What's going on? I I just need your advice. I have a hybrid 2009, about approaching 200,000 miles. It burns a little bit of oil. I probably put in a quart once in between each oil change and. I've heard that hybrid batteries can be pretty expensive, so I'm just trying to get your, your advice. Should I sell it, or should I just keep on driving it, just seeing what you think? Well, you know, if you've hit 10 years, that's a key period of time for you to own a vehicle and protect your wallet. So you've driven 200,000 miles, 20,000 miles per year. That's uh, significantly more than the average driver. And if this vehicle is one you've lost confidence in and you're worried about it, then it's fine for you to bail on it and get something else. Now, the, the standard formula Consumer Reports has is that when the cost of a repair exceeds the remaining value of the vehicle, 
that's when you dump it. So you could continue to drive it, and knowing at 10 years old, what's the value of the vehicle at this point, best guess? Probably around 5000 something like that, I would think. Still that much? That's what Kelly Blue Book is saying. Wow. You realize that's fantastic. To have driven yeah, something <laughs> 200,000 miles, have it be a, what now is 11 model years old, and have it still be worth five grand? I think there's a time, know when to hold them and when to fold them. I think you've reached a point that maybe you do bail on that. Simply because you're seeing trouble signs. There will be other people who might react negatively to what I've said and say, why would I say that? But I really do use 10 years as the green light point that if you're ready to move on, you should feel comfortable moving on. Are you in a position to be able to afford newer wheels? Yeah, I can. I just wasn't sure with the... How much a hybrid battery costs and all those things. Oh, so the the hybrid batteries, that's a great question, and I didn't answer it. The hybrid batteries were, when you got the vehicle, uh, when this vehicle was made in 2009, hybrid batteries were a fortune. But there have been so many improvements with hybrid technology that the cost of replacing a battery is much cheaper than it used to be. So that should not be solely a factor in deciding you want to dump it. And the way you could confirm this is call an independent shop for your brand and ask them what they charge to replace the battery in your model year. Okay. And that would, that would really give you a sense if you're facing financial Armageddon if the batteries go dead. Okay. So does that help? Yeah, that's a big help. What do you think you'll think get you do that. if you do bail on this? What do you think you'll get next? I was thinking probably another Toyota, something maybe a newer Camry, something like that. So this is a Camry hybrid. Uh, I was thinking maybe just a regular one for my next one, but I'm not but sure. But the one you have is a hybrid, a Camry hybrid. Those have yeah, proven, right now that's what I have. Those have proven to be extremely reliable. So unless you're just ready and you've reached the point you can be ready to be done with it, it may not be necessary for you to dump it because the numbers, the odds are so in your favor with that vehicle. Mary Beth is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Mary Beth. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. So you're going to throw me into a he said, she said (laughs) debate. I am. I need your referee whistle. All right. Well, automatically... You're right, but anyway, we'll go on. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, my husband and I have had this debate for a long time. Inside his 401k is a guaranteed fund option. Um, we have a small percentage of the money into that, very small. Um, but he thinks that every time the market is, is riding high, like it has been last week, he, he turns to me and says, let's do it. And I know what that means. It means let's put it all into the guaranteed fund to secure it at the high number. I say it's trying to time the market, and I'm sure there's other reasons why it's not a good idea, but I was wondering about your opinion. 
So actually, in this case, I'm 100% with you. I'm not even 90% with you. I'm 100%. (laughs) But even though mathematically it's impossible to time the market, there are people who who the the, uh, anxiety they feel, the upset they feel by a decline in their investments is so great that they sleep better at night if they do try to move to quote-unquote safety. But then I have a question for you. How old is your husband? Uh, 52. And how old do you think he'll be when he retires? Uh, We either have a four-year plan to a 10-year plan sort of in the works. Okay. So So maybe 56 to 60. So he probably thinks, okay, we got to just get to this finish line 56, 58, 60 years old, and we're done. Mm-hmm. So we got to make sure we preserve all this money. But if he's made it to 52, how long do you think his expected lifespan is? Uh, could be. We're, we're thinking, we're, we, I use 90 as a planning number. Okay, so you're thinking. The way his family. You're thinking like I do. So. Yeah. People make the mistake of trying to figure out what money they're going to have that they're going to somehow just have sit there and live on. In his case, it could be 30 years more instead of thinking about the fact that money has to continue to grow well into retirement to cover what inflation does to the money that he and you have. And nobody knows when the right moment is to get in or get out. You know, so many people, we had a catastrophic decline in the market 10 years ago, you know, starting 12 years ago. And so many people did what your husband did and went into cash because they were waiting till it got safe again. Well, what happens is you don't know when the market turns for good up. So the market quadrupled from its low in 2009. But most people missed most of that because they were too afraid to put their money back into the stock type choices. So steady ahead makes sense. I love as a way to leave things alone to go in the target retirement fund choice with all the money in the plan because the mix of investments would steadily change. But here I am only just agreeing with you. Well, you know, I like that. (laughs) But it would be better if he called me and I could disagree with him and we could go back and forth and maybe get to move his thought process a little bit. I would love that. If I could get him to, would would you take that call? Certainly. But I don't want you you to get into a flashpoint kind of argument with him about this. Because no, no, that's okay. It's all good. Because we're talking about normal human reaction. It is normal for people to fear that loss and fear the unknown. Especially every day, you can con- convince yourself from all the bad news that you hear every day. And so, so often it does feel like the sky's falling. And that's why going into quote unquote safe stuff feels like the right choice. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Santiago joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Santiago. Hey, Clark. Uh, how are you? It's a pleasure to talk to you. It's an honor. I've listened to you since 2007, and uh, I really uh, admire everything that you do. Well, you are so kind, and it's great to have you here. You have yet another question of confusion that people have had about the Equifax data breach. Let's see if I can be of any help. I sure do, Clark. Uh, so I did file for a claim for me, my wife, and one of my uh, kids. Uh, I uh, looked into who whose uh, um, social security had been, uh, quote-unquote, uh, breached. Looks like all three of us. And we had already frozen our credit again following your advice more than 10 years ago. Uh, the email that I received uh, said that I needed to uh, demonstrate that I had uh, credit monitoring, and I actually do not because I don't think that is necessary. If you've frozen your credit, they don't give us, they don't give me t- too many options beyond that. They yeah. said if you don't have that, that you get else. nothing. That's correct. Yeah. So what you can do is temporarily thaw your credit and set up with Credit Karma or Credit Sesame, okay. and then you can file the claim for the hundred and twenty-five dollars which um, likely is not going to be $125 because the number of claimants is really huge. I mean, 150 million people affected. Of course, it's going to be huge. And Equifax, um, well, I don't know if if the folks in the states and the federal government were naive or what, but Equifax was able to structure the settlement in a way that they can reduce how much they pay each individual when the number of claims exceeds what they convince the states and the feds there actually would be. But in order to be able to be in the system, you have to have, to get the 125, you have to have some form of monitoring set up. And there is new, there's new paperwork you got to fill out that we have a link to at Clark.com. If you do Clark.com slash Equifax, you can okay. see that. But you'll have to thaw credit, set up the free credit monitoring with Credit Sesame or Credit Karma. Your credit then goes back frozen, and then you provide that documentation, and you're eligible again for the up to $125. Got it. That sounds great. And by the way, I received an email from Yahoo also that there is pending litigation. Yeah, there's a lot going on with Yahoo. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. 
Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.